You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, praise team, for leading us this morning. So good to sing of our living hope that leaps off the pages at us when we look at this passage here in 1 Peter. Good morning, EBF family. My name is Tim. I serve here as lead pastor. It's a joy to be with you in person. And those that are joining with us online, welcome. It's good to have all of us together. And we are starting a new series this Sunday, as Jeff mentioned, called Sojourners and Exiles in the book of 1 Peter. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and it is a time for us to pause and to remember those who have fallen in defense of our nation, and also to pray for those who have lost loved ones, uh, family members, or friends. And also with this being Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I am reminded of the numerous Asian Americans that have fought in our armed, in, in our various branches with distinction, really since the War of 1812. Some have been recipients even of the Medal of Honor. And even I think about the conflicts that I have been a part of, and uh, 82 Asian Americans died during um, the Iraq War, to give you an idea. As we remember those who died in service to their country this weekend, let us be reminded, though, even more of the greater freedom that we, found, that we find in Jesus Christ. He who fought the war to end all wars through the cross. So would you join me in praying together here this morning as we approach God's word. Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we stop to honor the men and women who have served our country and laid down their lives in its defense. We pray especially for the family members and friends of those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Would you be their comfort, their strength, their shield, their ever-present help, Lord? We recognize that we live in a world ravaged by wars and rumors of war, but you and your mercy sent your son Jesus to fight that war to end all wars through the cross. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. We long for your kingdom and the full realization of your reign. Would you comfort and challenge us and motivate us and inspire us through your holy word this morning? Holy Spirit, illumine your word. Help us to delight in your will and walk in your ways. Lead us into all truth. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. We live in strange times. Or the times we live in make strangers out of folks like me. I'm not sure which. So writes Stan Gade. And as modern society around us accepts values and practices that seem increasingly at odds with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we sometimes feel more and more of a sense of foreignness in this land. Foreignness. But the early church was no stranger to these feelings. In fact, I can think of perhaps no other book in the New Testament 
especially, that wrestles with this tension of what it means to live between two worlds, as that of 1 Peter. Between two worlds. New Testament scholar Karen Jobes puts it this way. She writes, 1 Peter presents the Christian community as a colony in a strange land, an island of one culture in the midst of another. The new birth that Christ that, that gives Christians a new identity and a new citizenship in the kingdom of God makes us, in whatever culture we happen to live, visiting foreigners and resident aliens there. Or to put it as we see in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, sojourners and exiles. Today we're beginning this series in the, first, in the book of 1 Peter, exploring what it means to have this living hope in the midst of a hurting and broken world. And right off the bat, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 12, which we just heard read together, sets a magnificent tone surrounding this living hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And so in our time together in God's Word here, we're going to explore the basis for our living hope in verses 1 through 2. Ten reasons to praise God for our living hope in verses 3 to 5. The testing and triumph of our living hope in verses 6 through 9, and then the trail that led to our living hope in verses 10 through 12. So beginning with the basis for our living hope. In the introduction in the, there in verses 1 through 2, we discover who wrote the letter, who the audience is, as well as that foundation for the living hope that we have. Peter was a Galilean fisherman who left everything to follow Jesus, laid down his nets, became one of the original 12 disciples, the OG, I guess, and often listed first among them, too. Jesus called him Petros, meaning rock. And three times, if you know the story, three times he denied even knowing Jesus, and three times Jesus tenderly restated him back into the ministry of the gospel. He bore, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he bore authentic witness to the sufferings of Jesus Christ, as we see in chapter 5, verse 1. Many believe that the, the word Babylon in chapter 5, verse 13 is a reference to Rome and a clue that Peter may very well have written this magnificent letter, letter from there. The audience that's described in the rest of verse, there's verse 1 here, is to those who are elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter wrote mainly to Gentile Christians, as we're going to see through the themes we're going to explore. But these Christians who were dispersed or scattered among these, these provinces in what is now modern-day Turkey, in, there in Asia Minor, he wrote to an area that was incredibly racially and ethnically diverse. And he wrote to them who were facing sufferings of various kinds, as we see in the text here, perhaps because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and Peter wrote to give them hope and encouragement in the midst of this hurting and broken world. He refers to them as exiles or resident aliens, both perhaps because of their being relocated within the region in which they lived, as well as appointing to their citizenship that lay in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. 
I believe the church of God needs to be reminded again and again of where our true citizenship rests, in the kingdom of God. The book of 1 Peter speaks powerfully to this and helps us wrestle, as I mentioned, with that tension of what it means to live between two worlds. Many believers have answered this question differently over the decades. On the one hand, of abandoning the culture, perhaps circling the wagons, and, and perhaps on the other end of the spectrum, accommodating culture such that they may look virtually indistinguishable from the world around them. I believe 1 Peter speaks, to, speaks very much to this tension and challenges us with what it means to engage culture with the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, being people of peace who love our neighbors and who seek the welfare and the betterment of the city in which we've been placed. Well, in verse 2, Peter grounds this living hope in our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. He does so in a very Trinitarian way. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit leap off the pages here. First of all, coupled with the phrase elect exile, Peter reinforces that they were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father. God the Father chooses people according to his purpose and plan long before they are born. He takes the initiative even when we aren't aware of it. His plan provides the basis that we have for hope and encouragement. Then God the Spirit, Peter highlights that they were chosen through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who convicts us, who stirs our hearts to help us understand the gospel in the first place, who sets us apart and brings about our transformation over time. So the Father, the Spirit, and then the Son, they are chosen to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. That has a rich image actually at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24. The people of God pledged their obedience to, to God and were sprinkled by the blood of the sacrifice. But the law was powerless to transform the hearts of people so that they could obey God's word. That was only made possible by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. Church, before you were born, God hand-selected you. He set you apart through his spirit. Remember that our purpose is obedience through the cleansing of Christ's blood. And our identity as followers of Christ is the basis that we have for our living hope in the first place. Only in that identity can grace and peace be multiplied to us, as the rest of verse 2 bears out. It is in our vertical relationship with the triune God that we are given the strength to be able to navigate the significant challenges, those horizontal challenges we face in life. So, from this basis of a living hope, Peter launches into 10 reasons to praise God. Ten reasons to praise God for our living hope. These are some of the most rich and beautiful and, and power-packed verses in all of Scripture. And these ten reasons flow from, blessed be God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these reasons, Peter weaves together, if you notice this, both past, present, and future, what God has done, is doing, and will do to secure our living hope. So, first reason 
He has caused us to be born again. Peter begins with a past aspect. If we receive Christ, we have the settled confidence within our soul that we have been given a new lease on life. John 3.3, Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The text presents God himself as the source, the one who causes people to be born again. So church, praise God for new birth. The second reason, he did this according to his great mercy. Mercy means showing compassion when you have every right to punish someone. He didn't give us a new lease on life because we somehow deserved it. In fact, quite the opposite. God created humankind in his image to enjoy perfect relationship with him, but we rebelled against our creator and became spiritually separated from God. But God did not leave us to our own devices. He did not just say, have it your way and walk away. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Through his son, he poured out his great mercy. So praise God for his great mercy. Third reason, as a result, we have a living hope. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. We have a living hope. You know, we often use the word hope differently than the Bible uses it. Have you noticed this, perhaps in English? We might use hope like as a, almost like a wish, like I hope I get an A on that test, or I hope the Bears beat the Packers, or what have you. You know, we use it almost like as a, as a wish, as if it's a, it is uncertain as to whether or not it will actually transpire, but that's not how the Bible uses hope. The Bible presents home, hope as firm and secure, as an anchor for the soul. God has given us new life, and as a result, we have a sure hope, a fixed hope, a settled confidence on what is to come. Praise God for our living hope. And the fourth reason, this hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus took on human flesh. He walked among us. He experienced the full range of humanity. He experienced the unspeakable suffering and gave his life on a cruel Roman cross. But the story doesn't end there. Three days later, he rose triumphantly from the grave, conquering sin and death, risen and reigning. Hope is indeed alive because Jesus is alive. The historical reality of the resurrection forms almost like a conduit through which this living hope flows. And Christians have an unshakable hope in our future resurrection because of Jesus' own resurrection. It is his resurrection that guarantees our resurrection. Praise God for the resurrection of Jesus. Closely linked to it, this hope, the, the fifth reason, this hope looks forward to an inheritance. Part of the great Christian hope is the, the future inheritance that awaits us. The book of Romans talks about how we have been adopted into the family of God. It speaks of us in terms of being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is a, there is a wonderful inheritance, a future inheritance that is awaiting us. Praise God for our future inheritance. And Peter actually goes on to explain more of what this inheritance looks like when he says in the sixth reason, this inheritance is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading. Or another way of saying it, indestructible, incorruptible, and will never fade away. You know, soldiers have it easy these days. I gotta be careful here because if I complain much, I might sound like, you know, Grandpa Simpson, like old man yells at Cloud, I guess, like, <laughs> But when I was in the army, we still had to polish our boots, if you can believe it. We still had to polish our boots. Now they have like these tan and these uh, brown boots that require no polishing whatsoever. And I feel like I, you know, I still feel something in my elbow here from all of that, all of that rubbing that went into polishing those things to a, a, just a, a shine. You could eat off those babies. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could eat off those things. Well, I was on eBay not too long ago, and I saw a pair of boots very much like the ones that I wore back in the day, and they were described, where is it? They were described as wonderful, rare, 90s, vintage men's U.S. combat boots. Vintage, oh, man. <laughs> Needless to say, they were pretty worn out and dull. We can all think of things in our lives that, that lose their luster over time. Yesterday, we celebrated our kids' birthdays together. I think they're always going to have their birthdays celebrated together, those four guys. But, um, but you just think about the excitement about unwrapping those gifts and how enthusiastic they were to receive those things, and yet how they lose their luster over time. Church, our inheritance remains pristine. Here's the thing. In contrast to items that tarnish, that rust, or that lose their value over time, our inheritance, our inheritance remains pristine. It never loses its luster. Praise God for our imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance. Seventh reason, this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. God is preserving our inheritance. He is the one that is keeping it safe and sound. First Peter 5, verse 4, Peter writes later, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, a few years back, I saw a little newspaper cartoon of a stockbroker applying for a job as a roller coaster operator at an amusement park. And the caption says, this is his words. He says, I used to be a stockbroker, but I'm looking for a gig a little easier on the stomach. You know, the past couple of decades have definitely been an economic roller coaster. But in stark contrast, the beauty of our spiritual inheritance is that it is absolutely secure. It is kept in heaven for you. Nothing can touch it. In fact, Trusting in Christ is the best and most secure investment we can ever make. Praise God that our inheritance is kept in heaven for us. Here's the eighth reason. We are being guarded by God's power. If we have received Christ, we can know for certain that he goes before us as our shield and behind us as our guard. This makes me think of parenting again in we aim to both protect our children from external threats as well as keep them from escaping the fold. <laughs> Maybe those of us, especially with little kids, I don't know, but protecting them from external threats as well as keeping them from escaping the fold. Uh, I can't tell you how many times Danielle and I have asked the question, does anyone have eyes on Sam? That's our now three-year-old. Does anyone have eyes on Sam? Hopefully they have eyes on him right now down in children's ministry. But... 
That's what the word here for guard means. It is both a shielding against external threats, a shielding against external threats, as well as a keeping safe and secure within the fold of God. Praise God for guarding us by his power. And the ninth reason, very closely linked, is praise God, we are being guarded through faith. We are guarded by his power, and we are guarded through faith. Faith means trusting in who Jesus is and what he has done to reunite us radically with the Father through the cross. But it is not just a one-time deal. We are called to walk by faith, not by sight. After placing our faith in Jesus Christ, that is what we are called to as we navigate what it means to live between two worlds. Praise God for guarding us through faith. And the tenth reason, the final goal is salvation, rescue. This again describes the future aspect, ready to be revealed in the last time. If we have received Christ, we can know that the outcome is complete and secure. God will wipe away every tear. We will be reunited with those that we love. But more importantly, we will enjoy the perfect relationship with God for which we were created. Praise God, because the final goal is salvation. These truths should constantly be ringing in our ears, should be comforting our hearts and strengthening us amidst the storms of life. And so gratefully remember what God has done to rescue you. He acted mercifully and dis- decisively to pave the way, to pave the way for Jesus. And then he sent his son to earth to live among us, to suffer and die, and to give of himself in love. If we have trusted in Christ, we have been given a new life, a fresh start. The problem is that as we go about our daily lives, it is so easy to lose sight of all that God has done. We are not very good at times at remembering. But this remembrance and this gratitude, this thanksgiving should be a part of the fabric of our prayers, the culture of our church. Let us celebrate together, remember together with gratitude all that God has done to rescue us. Joyfully rest in what God is doing to pour out his living hope. This living hope, I believe, aptly describes the Christian life. We live with a vibrant and confident hope in what is to come. And while we live between two worlds, God's power guards us, and we walk by faith, not by sight. In the next few verses, Peter's going to explore more of what it means to praise God amidst life's challenges as well as life's joys. But in the midst of the challenges of life, we need to joyfully rest in the knowledge and comfort of what God is doing to rescue us. For what he has done, what he is doing, and eagerly anticipate what God will do to pour out his living hope. We look forward to that day when we will be reunited with our creator. Our salvation will be complete. We look forward to receiving our glorious inheritance that our loving heavenly father has stored up just for us. Heaven is coming to earth. We need to be reminded of this again and again that our destiny awaits us and look forward to what God will do to rescue us. So there in verses six through nine, Peter then turns to the testing as well as the triumph of our living hope. Verses six through nine, praise God 
through life's challenges and joys. Peter comes down from those sort of lofty theological heights that he's been in in verses 3 through 5, and then gives us almost a healthy dose of realism in these verses. In verses 6 through 7, we start with those challenges, and we, it's easy to wonder what were the challenges they were facing. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's not easy to pinpoint exactly what these trials were. It doesn't appear that they were experiencing one pressing trial necessarily, but more so a a whole myriad of issues. However, he recognized that God's people were fragmented and scattered and needed, needed bearing up in this time. So Peter goes on in his letter to talk more about these challenges that they were facing, especially because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and especially because of the mystery among those in society around them that surrounded their newfound faith as well. The purpose of these challenges is found in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The challenges of life prove the genuineness of our faith, much like a refining fire. The image behind this is that of precious metals being melted in a hot furnace to separate out the impurities and produce metal that is even more pure. Genuine faith is more precious than anything the world has to offer. And the challenges of life should cause us to praise and honor and glorify God, even in the midst of those storms. Starting in verse 8, the emphasis shifts to the joys of life then. We believe in Jesus even though we have not seen him. In John 20, 29, Jesus holds up or tells Thomas these words. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. That's us. We walk by faith and not by sight. Even though we have not seen him, we should love him. We should believe in him and experience not just joy, but as Peter writes, joy that is inexpressible and filled with light, filled with glory. The end result of our believing in the one we have not seen is the salvation of our souls. In light of life's challenges and joys, a couple takeaways to consider. First of all, praise God in the midst of the storms of life. There are times when we will face what Peter's talking about here, suffering, grief, trials of various kinds. It could be a messy custody battle. It could be an unforeseen job loss. It could be the sudden loss of a loved one, whatever it is. These storms in the text here are framed, they're, they're bookended by joy. It's almost unfathomable joy. It begins, verse 6, in this you rejoice, and in verse 7 ends, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One mercifully short book that I read fairly recently is called Wounded Healer by Henry Nouwen. Has anyone read that? You know, it's, it's kind of a gut punch in some ways, but in other ways, it is a reminder that even through what we face, the challenges that we face, 
our own woundedness, we are able to better minister to the souls of others. That's true as a pastor. That's true in anyone's life. Part of, may I suggest, part of what God may be doing in those moments is preparing us to be able to minister to the souls of others. Remember, hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Through life's challenges and joys, praise God for his promised rescue, that which is past, present, and future. So not only should we praise God in the midst of those storms of life, but let us praise God in times of surprising joy as well. Perhaps you are in a season of celebration right now. Praise God for that. It is easy for us at times to take those things for granted. It's often easy for us to even loop others into what we are experiencing in those joys as well. When the body of Christ gathers to worship God, it is a great opportunity for us to also celebrate what God is doing in one another's lives. Thanksgiving should be what pulses through our veins. Love him, believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So from the testing and triumph of this living hope, Peter finishes this passage with the trail that led to our living hope in verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12 really are a call to praise God for those who blazed the trail. Praise God for those who blazed the trail. First of all, the prophets, they spoke oftentimes more than they knew. They shared the grace that was coming through the person and work of Jesus Christ. They searched the scriptures to try and figure out the time and circumstances surrounding God's promised salvation through the Messiah. They recorded what the Holy Spirit gave them about the sufferings, the coming sufferings of the Messiah. And the amazing thing is that they had some awareness of the fact that the words the Holy Spirit was writing through them was going to serve future generations, even us today. Amazing. You know, one tough question. I think I was asked this at a youth group a few years back. I love, by the way, total side note, but I love when students ask tough questions in youth group. So bring them. Bring them, guys. One of those tough questions, though, was why did God wait so long to send Jesus? It's a good question. You know, there are many things that go into answering a question like that, but one of them is the fact that God was using the prophets to leave a trail of breadcrumbs, we might say, that pointed to Jesus. We who live between Jesus' first coming and second coming benefit from the fact that we are able to read Scripture as a unified whole. The prophets spoke the good news. Then in the rest of verse 12, as well, it says, it goes on to say, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The suffering and death of the Messiah predicted by the prophets was also communicated by faithful message bearers who took the gospel forward. We are beneficiaries of those faithful gospel messengers. Even angels long to look into these things. The passage ends. The angels have had the opportunity to see what God has done through history. Even they long to fully understand what has been accomplished. 
So church, two final takeaways just from these last couple of verses. One is get to know the prophets. Get to know the prophets. You know, sometimes I hear things like, oh, that's, that's so Old Testament. Or, you know, we don't, need, we don't need that anymore. No. Peter was convinced that the prophets, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pointed to the suffering and death of the Messiah. And also the glories that would follow. Get to know the prophets in their writings. Sit at their feet. The Bible is one big storyline from beginning to end. Follow those breadcrumbs. And second, trace your spiritual heritage. Trace your spiritual heritage. Can you trace, how far back perhaps, can you trace those who faithfully carried the gospel? Who was it that shared the gospel with you? Who shared the gospel with them? Much like a genealogist, you know, like putting together a family tree or exploring, you know, the, uh, a family's roots and system. How far back can you trace your spiritual heritage? Praise God for those who have gone before us and communicated the truth of the gospel. A challenging question we must consider is how many people will be able to point back to you as being part of their own spiritual heritage? May it not end with us. May it not end with us. Oh, church, praise God. Praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for what he has done, is doing, and will do to secure our living hope. Praise God through life's challenges and joys. And praise God for those who blaze the trail. You know, I can think of no better way for us to close out our time in reflection upon this passage, a very doxological, if I can use that word, passage, than for us to sing together the doxology. Would you stand with me? Can we sing this together? The words, if you need them, are in the Church Center app, but otherwise they may be back there within the recesses of your mind. But let's sing this. Let's reflect on the glories of what God has done, is doing, and will do to secure a living hope. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Gracious Heavenly Father, there are countless reasons that we have to praise you, to praise your glorious name. We praise you first and foremost for your promised salvation, that which you are working in the past, the present, and the future. Thank you for what you have done to save us in the sending of your dear Son. Thank you for what you are doing now to guard us until the end. And thank you for what you will do do to reunite us with you. In the in-between, O Lord, would you help us to walk by faith? Give us a long view, O Lord, of what you are doing, of your greater purposes, even in the midst of the challenges and the joys of life. Stir our hearts to share your message of hope with everyone around us. And we pray, even as we approach your 
your table this morning, God, that you would cause us to remember, to celebrate. Lord Jesus, you're giving yourself in love. We pray this in the precious and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.